Welcome to the world of digital sound. Hey there, good people of the internet. Welcome, welcome. This is Ken, and this is a Ken podcast story. Guys, this is number 98. Not many to go now. One more, and then we are definitely going to do consequences as number 100. Uh, just a, a little announcement there. Um, guys, right, this one is going to be a little bit different because, yet yeah, we are going to tell a podcast story, but you're also going to get a little bit of opinionated stuff in the middle of this because <laughs> there are certain things, um, and I guess that now we're coming to an end of the podcast story season, I guess there are certain things that I can talk about that um, I've always wanted to talk about, but it's it's never kind of been the right time. And I guess now is the right time. So this is uh, number 98. It is podcast story. And uh, let me just give you the usual uh, bump and start by saying that all some none of this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is, isn't or indifferent. And put a comment in the comment section on the YouTube video, which will go up on the Ken channel. I've got, <laughs> I was funny the other day. I turned on the Ken channel and... Uh, it said, uh, oh, you've got 5,000 subscribers. I thought, bloody hell, really? <laughs> I haven't. I've actually got just over 4,500. But, you know, it was quite interesting. It's funny, isn't it, how I kind of went from 50,000 on one channel to um, 5,000 on the other. And and people have asked me, why didn't you just keep the Ken, the Ken Burton Show channel going? Uh, because you've got 50,000 subscribers, you would have gotten more views. And the simple answer is... Because that's different. That That is about gaming. It's about gaming-related stuff. It's about machinima. It's about partnerships. It's about all of these things. This channel, the Ken channel, is different. This is a channel for the faithful and for the faithful alone. So the rest of them can piss off, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is your channel. It's my channel. It's not theirs. So, um, and the hangers on, you know, the, the hangers on that uh, basically only really um, subscribed to my channel because they thought they could get a partnership with Machinima in the days when a partnership with Machinima was worth anything. Um, you know, so there was a lot of that going on in those days. And that's how I got to 50,000. It wasn't really. I, th I think probably, probably half of that number actually subscribed because they enjoyed what I did, and then the other half subscribed because they wanted something from me. So, uh, you know, oh well, never mind. Oh, and all characters uh, mentioned in this podcast story are fictional unless stated otherwise. They're all fictionally named people. So I didn't say that very well, did I? We have changed the names to protect the innocent. They're not innocent. If you've never heard one of these podcast stories before, I do suggest you go back and listen to some of the others because this won't make any lick of sense at all to you. You'll be sitting there going, what the hell is he talking about? Um, well, you know, it's it's a series. And unless you've at least heard two or three of the others, you're not really going to get it. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, I struggle to know what to call this one, actually. I'd, I'd like to call it politics. Um, politics. Is that a good word for it? I don't know if that is a good word for it. Politics. I'm going to have to think of something. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, let's uh, let's crack on and, and give you some sort of uh, basis on which uh, this this particular podcast story comes from. 
And we are going to cover off, by the way, certain opinions in this. The chewing gum's in, by the way, already, so you know I'm serious. Uh, we're going to cover a number of opinions in this that you may find offensive, so just be warned. Um, right, okay, so uh, let's, let's just kick off with um, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, life was very, very different, and especially in Coventry. And... Politics uh, was quite a difficult one back then. We had Margaret Thatcher who came into power and we had this whole um, women are doing it for themselves sort of thing and what do we need men for and, you know, if a, if a vibrator could mow the lawn then all men could fuck off, you know. It was, it was all that sort of attitude going on a lot. And uh, that's what you saw in the news. In the popular media, that's what you saw constantly. And it's not dissimilar to what you see now. Popular media constantly talking about how, you know, women should be paid equal to men. Uh, not something I disagree with. I, I do agree with that. Um, there should be positive discrimination to put more women in boardrooms uh, there should be positive discrimination for that. And look, discrimination is discrimination, and it's wrong. If you just work on that premise that discrimination of any kind, any sort, is wrong, then the world would be a better place. But we can't seem to do that. We we have to uh, we have to discriminate apparently, but in a PC way, and it kind of it does really get me. <laughs> It makes me incredibly angry. <laughs> I can't tell you how <coughs> some sleepless nights I've had. I need to cough on a ass better. Because some dickhead has uh, decided to endorse positive discrimination. I, I just find it absolutely amazing. 30 years ago is where it all started. And it started in quite a small way. I mean, Thatcher got into power. And uh, a lot of women were, you know, looking for careers instead of jobs. Uh, and ac according to the popular media, anyway. But that wasn't the case on the ground. <laughs> and it was, it was perhaps my first taste of how the media distorts real life in an incredibly uh, manipulative way to kind of... Uh, enforce social change and uh, I was just amazed at that I mean uh, the the girls that I knew around sort of that time were um, girls that were out to have a good time uh, yeah some of them had jobs some of them worked in shops there was a, a legal secretary that um, I got to know very well <coughs> A couple of the girls went to uh, college um, and, you know, one or two of them were at university. And, the, the, you know, there was a whole mix of girls and young ladies and women that I knew around that sort of period. And But this stereotype that seemed to be projected by the media, this, um, you know, Jermaine Greer type of... Um, uh, women are women and men should know their place sort of bullshit that that just never came into my world at all and I, I would have said that I had a, 
a quite a varied sort of social um, social group that I knew at that time because of where I lived and my apartment was in quite a, a nice place it was a posh place there were an awful lot of people in there who were career women um, who were you know professionals we had I mean a lot of these people because of the, the way this place was set up a lot of these people had country houses and then they had these apartments in Coventry and uh, they used these apartments during the week, went off to their country retreats uh, at the weekends. And uh, so I got to mix with lawyers, barristers. Um, there were, you know, all sorts of professional people. There were CEOs. There were, you know, and some of these, some of these are women and, um, the vast majority of them, I admit, were men, uh, but some of them were women. And out of all the women that I knew at that time, I can only probably name three that were actually career women or what you would distinguish as a career woman. And then that kind of completely carried on throughout my professional life, well after I'd finished my time in Coventry and moved on and d did other things. I worked, I employed many women, I worked with many women, and I worked for an international motor manufacturer, you know, I worked for one of the big boys in the car industry, and I worked very closely with them, and only one woman that I knew, only one, was actually a career woman. And I just find that absolutely incredible. And I, I, can, I can, and I thought about this before I did the podcast. And I thought, no, there's got to be more than one, Ken. There's got to be more than one. Let's see. And I, I thought back and thought, no, there was only one. <clears throat> there was only one woman who actually wanted to make it into senior management, that wanted to be a director of the company, that wanted to take it all the way. And all the rest of the people that I knew at that time yeah, they kind of were career orientated. But at the end of the day, what they did for a living was a job. It was a means to an end. It wasn't a, a career. They didn't want the uh they didn't want the power. Uh they didn't want the kudos, the responsibility, maybe, you know, responsibility comes with higher uh salaries that but they at the end of the day, they wanted to earn enough money to enjoy a decent life. They didn't want to. <clears throat> they didn't want to go on and be CEO of the company, and this whole sexism thing really, very rarely came into my world. And that this was like thirty years ago when everyone was a sexist. Right up until five years ago when I left that world six years ago now, uh, where it was still perfectly acceptable and it was more than that. It was expected that you would open a door for a, for a woman coming through, <laughs> coming through uh, from one room to another. You would open the door for her. And if anything uh, kicked off, you would be expected 
it would be demanded of you from a social context to intervene, to get involved. If you found a bloke that was stressed, then you wouldn't necessarily give a shit. A woman who was stressed, and you would be concerned. And that, <laughs> that's just that's just been a constant throughout my life. And so what's happening now in the popular media and people um people going on the news and you see this you see this late night if you watch sky news and stuff women coming on saying all men are sexist and there should be positive discrimination bollocks they should bollocks if women if women wanted those positions within uh within a business they could get them and if they didn't, they wouldn't. Let's let's take another classical example, right? The Apprentice in the UK. The Apprentice is um, it's a great it's a great mix of people, but it's a complete misnomer to me. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever because I don't recognise the world, and maybe it's a different world to the one I'm used to. But I just don't recognise it. If if you get a group of business people together that whole Alan Sugar giving tasks and bringing people into the boardroom thing, that, that is not how business works in the real world. <laughs> it may work in his world, but it doesn't work in the real world because in the real world, you want to make contacts. You want to make friends. You, you want to know that you're doing business with this guy or you're working with this guy and in two years' time, you might meet this guy again. Only next time, he might be your boss. Or next time, he might be the CEO of a company you want to do business with. You do not do what The Apprentice does and try and fuck each, over, fuck each other over for a dollar. It doesn't work like that. That's not real-world stuff. You don't try and fuck each other over. There was a proportion of that that went on within the car maker that uh, that um, I, I worked for, for a lot of years, by the way. I mean, I did a lot of years in there. There was a portion of that, and that was when they made the mistake of bringing in a load of graduates. And these graduates didn't give a shit about the cars. The only thing they were interested in was power and position. And we went through a whole period of you know, these graduates fucking each other over. And I saw it firsthand. I mean, it, you know, people would be employed in a certain position. And the next thing you know, you hear a rumour that that person has bypassed their immediate boss, gone to that guy's boss with stories about how their boss is incompetent and can't do the job properly. And that way, oh, there's a little squirrel at my window. Hello. Hello. Oh, he's gone. Uh, that way, <laughs> that way, they're hoping that their immediate boss will get moved on and fired and they'll get the job. So there was a little bit of that going on. And that maybe lasted about two years until all of these people were just ratted out for what they were, shit at what they did, but they talked a good game. And a lot of good people got fucked on during that period and a lot of good people left the company and went into other businesses during that period and a lot of these graduates just left just went because ultimately they were 
they were seen for what they were. Um, they were the equivalent of gold diggers and they went. And this whole thing with the Alan Sugar thing, doing what he's doing, I mean, that's 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 the entire premise on which it utterly failed within the car maker that I work for. So, but the women within that are strong. They are headline. They are out there. They're career women. They've got a plan. They want a business. But they still say things like, tits and teeth, girls, tits and teeth. And then when they do negotiation, it's, oh, please do this. I'm just a girl. I love you forever. Yeah, the longer you do that... (laughs) The more you will not be taken seriously in business. All right? It's that easy. Now, I don't want to... I'm not demeaning women. Um, Although, I did go through a whole period of being accused of being a sexist once. But uh, it was just some stupid little girl who didn't understand what the word sexist meant. She was a gamer. And uh, I I said something. What it, I'll tell you what I actually said. We were at the I-49 event. And there was a... I-49? No, it could have been Games Fest. Could have been Games Fest. And there were a lot of people there. And all the big names were there. Small Beans was there. And um, uh, there were... Syndicate was there. And all of the big names, right, were there. And we were all stood in a group... And I was talking to these people and I, I said, how many of you with Machinima? And they were going, oh, yeah, I am, I am. Oh, I want to be, I want to be, you know, and all this. And uh, there was a girl there and she said, oh, I'd I'd like to be. I said, well, you know, you're you're going to get an instant in. Just put, put in your application. I said, Machinima like girls. And that apparently was sexist because I said Machinima like girls and what I meant by that was right now or at that particular time Machinima were very proactive in bringing girls into gaming they wanted to encourage it they wanted to bring more women into mainstream gaming and give them opportunities and you know they were willing at that time to positively discriminate to bring more women into gaming and uh, positive discrimination worked in a, a variety of ways then. And well, you can call it positive discrimination. Whether or not it was, I don't know. But um, they wanted to do things like it. I mean, my, my remit as a recruiter at that time was if you see somebody with potential, if you see somebody who's going to actively contribute to the community in a positive way, then bring them in. doesn't matter if they've got no views, no videos, no subscribers. Bring them in. And in that sense, they wanted to bring more women into gaming, more girls into gaming, because that would have encouraged more girls into gaming. And that was the whole idea. So that's that's exactly what I said. Machinima liked girls. And then she went on and made this huge rant about me being a sexist. And uh, I thought, bloody hell, really? Is that sexist? So anyway, a little while after that, um, she challenged me to a uh, one-on-one match. And this was the famous one with Small Beans, and I really wish I'd recorded it. And it was on Rust. It was Modern Warfare. It was on Rust. Just me, just her, destroyed her. 
completely destroyed her. But during the game, I said, bloody hell, that really... Uh, she changed class during during that. And I hope, hope somebody's out there that understands this. She changed her class. Different weapon, in other words. And different perks and stuff. And in changing your class, your outfit changes. Your uniform changes. And I all of a sudden saw her, where, after I'd killed her, wearing something she wasn't wearing before. And I went, oh my God, that really shocked me. I thought there was somebody else in the game for a minute. So typical woman changing her outfit halfway through. That apparently was sexist. <laughs> and she went on to destroy me again on social media, saying that I was a sexist. Uh... It was during that, actually, that I then had my one and only game with Small Beans, where I got a serious number. He won, but I got a serious number of kills on him. And I, honestly, the only bit of that video he uploaded uh, was him getting kills on me. Uh, he will never get over it. I don't think he'll ever get over the fact that I came very close to fucking him on Rust. And, uh, yeah, me being the worst COD player in the world and him being this so-called fingers-in-the-air great gamer. So, anyway, so that was my brush with sexism. And there was another little brush with sexism just after that when um, certain people who you probably know as almost household names in the gaming industry uh, decided to attack me for another comment I made when uh, I said something along the lines of, oh my God, I've been beaten by a girl during a match. And the girl in question went, well, that's not sexist. But the certain people that she hung around with, and we're talking about big machinima names here. You know, I can't mention any names, but big machinima people who worked there, who were huge in the gaming industry, said that it was sexist. And I just thought, I'm living in a different planet here. <laughs> I'm not on the same planet. So, you know, to say um, to say that I'm a sexist, I don't think I'm a sexist. I think women make jokes about men. Men make jokes about women. Only when men make jokes about women, these days, the PC Nazis come out and accuse you of whatever, because people almost professionally want to take offence at anything now, and it 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 really, it really is kind of one of those things that's just. It's pushed by mainstream media. Over and over again, the K Burleys of this world, you know, they really push this agenda. And, as I said, I mean, I've worked with. I've worked with probably some of the best um, professional females that you could ever imagine. I mean, one of, in fact, the best person I ever worked for was a woman, uh, only because she had the whole package. She was smart. She was intelligent. She kept her femininity. She didn't dress like a man just to just to kind of make it in a man's world. She was a woman making it in a man's world and still retaining her femininity at the same time. I had huge amounts of respect for her. She didn't use her femininity to get her any further. She used her brains. 
never on any occasion did I even get a hint of, oh, please, come on, I'm just a girl. Any of that bullshit that you see on The Apprentice or I've seen done over and over again. She was just brilliant at what she did. And she very nearly got to the top. And then some people at the top didn't particularly want her in there. And it wasn't because she was a woman. It was because she gave a shit. She actually gave a shit about the people under her. About their rights. About the product. About methodology. About IT systems. She gave a shit. And the powers that be didn't like that. So they found a way to get rid of her. And away she went. And she went off and got married. And she travelled around the world. And all power to her elbow. Um, Classic. Absolutely classic. It works that way to an extent with race as well. And race is a difficult one. And that's where the story really begins. After I just give you my opinion on that. And please bear in mind that I I am one of these um, uh, people whose answer to the immigrant crisis is to put them back on boats and send them back to where they came from and put uh, warships in between us and, uh, and their departure point and use live fire if necessary, right? I'm from that camp, if you like. Um, I don't believe that the vast majority of these people coming over are immigrants uh, looking for, you know, looking to get away from a war zone. I think a huge amount of them are ISIS. I do buy into that. And uh, they're going to bring holy jihad on the world. I think that is going to happen. Um, and what we're doing now is being all <clears throat> nicey-nicey and Germany going, oh, yes, let's open the borders, yay! Uh, no, not a good thing. Not a good thing at all, Germany. So um, that's where I come from. And race is another one. As often as people play the female card, they play the race card. And the race card is absolutely ridiculous. People think that racism is a black issue. And I've heard this on many discussions, late night discussions, when I end up, especially in the old days when I was making videos and it took five hours to render and I'd end up watching some shit until four in the morning. And you see people coming on, and it, you'll see it now because it's more prominent now. It's, it's in fact every Sunday is uh, is Muslim Sunday, where they'll get somebody on to say how um, how wonderful Muslims are, how the Quran teaches peace and love, and it may well do that. I don't know, but certain Muslims are interpreting the Quran in a different way and deciding that holy jihad on the infidel is the way to go and you know the race card is a difficult one for me I saw what happened in America when um, 
this uh, one of these guys got shot, one of these black kids got shot. Or he got, I can't remember, did he get held in a neck lock or something? Fine. The idea is, as that famous Chris Rock video showed us, how not to get fucked by the police. Do as they ask. They have a job to do. Don't have a go at them. Don't be threatening to the police, or they will be threatening to you. And if they feel threatened, they will act. Because more often than not, police are attacked by uh, people who are threatening them. They deal with threatening situations day in, day out. Do not threaten the police. Let me give you an example of that. 30 years ago, (laughs) I was in a car with my friend. We were stopped by the police and we were both pissed out of our fucking heads. And for some reason, my mate said to me, Do you know they can't arrest you unless they're wearing a hat? (laughs) It may have been the rules back then. I don't know. But we got out the car when the police stopped us. And it was a single copper. And my mate went, what do you want? I went, I'm sorry, officer. We're going straight home. We know we've had too much to drink. Look, we'll leave the car here and walk. It's not far. I am sorry for the inconvenience. And the officer said, You pair, it's bloody, come on, boys, it's three in the afternoon, you shouldn't be like that. And then my mate said, Excuse me, officer, but if you're going to arrest me, you need to put your fucking hat on. (laughs) Oh, God. He very uh, quickly got a punch in the mouth. And... uh, I stood there and went, fair enough. (laughs) This copper just went, go home. He got back in his car and went. And I swear to you, that happened. That is not something that I've made up. That is not something that I'm going to deny. It happened. And it happened exactly like that. So do not threaten the police. Do not, uh, you know, like this guy that got shot in America. The police released footage of him. Big lad, big strapping, six foot, built like a brick shithouse lad. Went into an off-license or a liquor store and robbed it. His sheer size intimidated the staff. He grabbed what he wanted and walked out the door. And then... Police confronted him, he uh, resisted, he could have killed somebody due to just his size, he could have killed somebody. He ended up getting killed. If you get killed because you're resisting arrest, that's your fucking fault. And it seems to be a trait. And if you watch... um, If you watch things like police camera action or Brit cops or any of these sky shows, the vast majority of the people that they nick, when they nick a white person, the guy gets out the car, says, I'm awfully sorry, officer, 
and he gets a ticket, gets back in his car, tail between his legs, and he fucks off. When it's a black or Asian person, and they get stopped, they get out of the car with this, What's your fucking problem, man? Why you stop me in it? Why you fucking stop me in it? Is it because I is black? Is it because I is black? <coughs> and that pisses me off completely. Just pisses me off. Playing the race card is just wrong. And it is perpetuated by PC correct media, PC correct policies that cover everything. Why do we need to have a black police federation? Just for blacks, no whites. If we had a white police federation, people would call it the KKK. But instead, we've got a black police federation. Only for black officers, no whites. So when you employ somebody to be the chairman of that, or when you employ a secretary to go and work there, you have to employ a black person. You can't employ a white person. Isn't that discrimination? If I had an office and I had a job going, if I said, well, I'm sorry, but there are no blacks. There's only whites. Only whites allowed. I would be hung, quartered, I'm fucking stuck on a post with people throwing fruit at me in the street. Because that's the way we're working now. And we just shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't discriminate at all. Whether it's a female, whether it's <coughs> a black or Asian person. Discrimination of any sort, positive or negative, should be looked at in the same light. It is just fucking wrong. There are words, and you all know the word I mean. I'm not allowed to say it because I'm white. If I was black, I could say it, but I can't say it because I'm white. I'm being discriminated against, even though that word is being used all over the place, in songs, popular culture, on the internet, in YouTube, it's all over social media, but you need to be black to be able to use it. You can't use it if you're white. There are words in our language today that we can't use because we're white. Not we can't use because they are globally offensive. That particular word should be globally offensive. But we can't use it because we're white. Don't use that word. We had a similar thing when uh, uh, Prince, uh, I was going to say Andrew, it's not Andrew, is it? Who's the other one? Prince um, Harry, that's him. He did a video when he was in the barracks of uh, one of his tours and he said, uh, oh, there's my little packy friend over there. And the world went mad. The world went mad. Oh, you can't say the word packy. You can't say that. Hold on a minute. I thought, now that's weird. Because I do remember watching on TV on a Sunday afternoon. And not that I follow this. Please don't think I'm one of those. But a cricket team 
came out with the English cricket team and they very clearly had the word Paki written on the back of their shirts. And it was the Pakistani team. Now I can call an Aussie an Aussie. He can call me a pommy bastard. And I'm not offended by that. I'm not offended by that at all. Black person can call me a cracker. I don't care. It's one of these things. But it doesn't work in reverse. If you're black. And it only applies if you're black. That kind of makes me, on occasion, guilty of racial racial prejudice. In an involuntary way. Oh my God, I hate the way that I'm looking at this programme because of the way that black person is acting. A white person wouldn't do that. And that is racially prejudice. I'm automatically prejudiced against a black person because of the way they're acting. Why is it that stop and search has been done away with? Because most crime in the UK is committed by young black people. So young black people being stopped a lot on the streets kind of makes sense. I don't know. Nowadays it doesn't apply because uh, we've got all these Kosovans and and, uh, the Eastern European and the former Yugoslavian bloc countries that uh, are over here and they're creating just as much crime as the black and Asian community ever did. So, you know, so it doesn't apply now. The black and white thing doesn't apply. So politically, that's where I am. I'm not saying all black people out. I'm not saying all Kosovans out or whatever out. What I'm saying is do away with positive discrimination and you will have a positive effect on negative discrimination. That's what I'm saying. So let's start this story and go back to my first encounter with what I would deem as a racist. And it was, to me, quite shocking. And it was quite an eye-opener, and I learned a lot. And in those days, 30 years ago, my mind was open to so much, so much culture, so much so much of the world and all these new experiences. When I was 20, I started to read Shakespeare because a girl that I knew happened to be studying that at college. And she came round one day and said, I need to do this thing where where I am um, uh, reading Shakespeare out loud. Can I do it for you? And I said, yeah, of course. And she sat in my flat and she read this verse. 
And I was in awe of what I just heard. I was absolutely in awe of it. It was amazing. It was um, mind-blowing. And it prompted me to go out and buy the complete works of Shakespeare. And slowly, I tried to read it. A lot of it I couldn't read. I ended up going to Stratford. It wasn't unheard of for me to go to Stratford at that age, together with a couple of friends, and go and watch one of the plays. And I saw Romeo and Juliet. I saw Hamlet. I've seen Hamlet God knows how many times. I've seen a lot of the Shakespeare plays. I've been to a lot of the Shakespeare um, readings on the sonnets. And my mind was just like a sponge back then. I was open to all of this. It was an education that I thought, Christ, you know, why didn't my school give me this? Why didn't my school educate me? I was fascinated by the war. World War I. World War Two, And then during my period, of course, the Falklands. I was fascinated by it. How did it start? Why, why is it that so many people died? And these stories of people being ordered over the trenches to gain 10 yards of land. 5,000 people killed to gain 10 yards of land that they then lose a week later. This can't be real, can it? And I was amazed. And that spread onto different things. It, I started to learn about, I started to learn about uh, the aristocracy, how this country was run by the aristocracy, and how the war changed all that. Because people saw these people in command who they thought were their betters treat them like cannon fodder make really bad decisions stupid decisions based on no intelligence and how the war certainly the first world war but then cemented by the second world war ended the great houses ended the aristocracy because people saw them for what they were and they were no better than you and me. And that was just amazing. So my mind at that time, on my off time, and I've never spoken about this, I've never spoken about any of this. On my off time, there were days when I was in the flat on my own. There were times when I would disappear for a couple of days. I would go somewhere for a couple of days. I went to Guernsey. I went to Guernsey to go and see the fortifications and the war museum. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. Nobody I knew. I'd said I had a family thing. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. So I thought they'll just take the piss. And I went to Guernsey to go and see that. I went to Malta 
to go and see their war museum. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Their war museum is brilliant. And Malta was a wonderful place and people really wanted to talk about the war and they wanted to talk about how grateful they were to the British for saving them during the war. So my mind at that time was like a sponge. And it was that way with people. And I met it with a lot of people, a lot of uh, certainly a lot of very dodgy people, but a lot of people. Hey, uh, I was mates with the craze, yeah, they'd often give me a shout if they wanted someone doing <laughs> to bullshit, but fine. <laughs> I'd listen to some of these guys tell their stories over a pint. I was fascinated by it. Just fascinated by the storytelling. Whether or not any of it was true. I don't know. But then something happened. And it genuinely changed my perspective on the world. On the world as a, as a global entity. I'd met a lot of people foreign people um coventry at that time was being uh i was gonna say invaded uh, i was gonna say that in a joking way but you can't joke about these things can you it was being uh, heavily populated by the indian community and especially in the Fosal road sort of area where it was all low cost housing and you know i mean don't get me wrong i i was born on a road just off the Fosal road you know and uh when I was born, it was all post-war housing. Uh, and, uh, you know, not that I was born just after the war. I mean, there was, <laughs> it was a long time after. I was born, you know, towards the uh, end of the 60s, not uh, not 1940s. So anyway, um, but the, the whole area, as people became more affluent and they were moving out of the area, the housing was cheap, it was... Uh, terraced housing it was you know very much uh, Coronation Street type housing and uh, it was obviously you know being brought up and there was a big push to bring uh, people into the community the Jamaican community were coming in in strength and all of these communities were finding their own little areas and those areas became big areas and at one point the whole of Fosal uh stony stanton all of those sort of areas were predominantly black and asian and uh i got on quite well with these guys i mean I'd, there were a lot of them in the motor trade uh they were hard working uh certainly the the pakistani community that came over and took over a lot of the corner shops and god i remember as a kid as a little kid uh, the the local corner shop and old John had left and it was being taken over by you know uh, by a Pakistani family who were going to run it and everyone was up in arms and you know, oh bloody Pakistan's coming over here you know and uh, that soon changed when John's opening hours of nine till four thirty all of a sudden changed and the shop was open at six and didn't close till eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter what time of the day, oh, bloody shop's still open, it's 11 o'clock. Oh, then everybody appreciated the Pakistani community. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they were hardworking people, you know, really hardworking. Um, so 
you know, there there was a lot of that sort of went on. I met a lot of these people. I met um, Americans uh, that were over for various reasons. And uh, I met uh, some Italian people. There was an Italian company started up in um, the middle of Coventry into in one of these new found venture parks. And uh, this Italian company, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Italians brought their families with them. Their families went to clubs, and the girls were all over the Italians, obviously, because they were you know very smooth. They were very smooth as fuck. The Italians at pulling the women, and I got to know a few of the Italians that way. And you know, um, I got to know I got to know so many people. The Aussies, there were quite a few Aussies in Coventry at that time, uh, so. You know, we had um, people from all over the world. And in our little group, uh, we were all Coventry born and bred. All of us. And I was probably the most open of the people that we were with when it came to race and religion. For a start, I didn't give a shit about religion. There's a very good reason for that. My mother was a devout Catholic, still is, church every Sunday. I had to go to church, Catholic church, every week, every Sunday, till I was about 13, at which point I was allowed to decide for myself that this God you speak of (laughs) is a myth, and therefore I don't want to go and worship this myth anymore and uh i stopped going but so i hated religion absolutely became a devout atheist and i i'd learned at that time as well i'd learned about uh you know the fact we descended from monkeys and fish and you know all of this i've I'm being taught all of this god stuff and just taking it in as you do as a kid and thinking all oh, right okay and then i learned about evolution and <laughs> thought well hold on a minute what Who's right and who's wrong here? The schools teach me about this. You'll teach me about this. But what, where's there something in the middle of this? What? And um, I decided to go with the uh, clever guys, you know, and go with the theory of evolution <laughs> and ditch this God stuff. Your myth, mythical miracle maker, chap. Um, I'm not saying Jesus didn't exist. I'm just saying he was a pretty good magician. That's all. <laughs> So, anyway, um, so I didn't give a shit about religion. I didn't know anything about uh, Muslim religion or the Quran or any of that. I didn't know any of that at that time. Didn't want to know. I I knew that there were mosques going up in Coventry and that people were outraged at these things being built. I knew of one particular church that was taken down and a mosque was built. I was fully aware of that, and, uh, you know, there was, oh, God. I knew about the racial hatred. To be frank, it was more about the Irish as well back then, because the IRA were bombing um, bombing the place like you wouldn't believe. There was a lot of bombs going off, and they bombed Coventry, and... Uh, I remember, you know, the, the whole of this up the IRA business, and the Irish being frowned upon. There was more, I think, racial hatred against the Irish at that time than there was a, about the black and Asian community. But that's where we got to. I didn't give a shit. It was as simple as that. 
But again, you see, it didn't really matter because my mum was Irish. My mum is Irish. And so I had a half Irish family. A lot of people I knew were Irish from a, you know, family perspective. Oh, do you know what? I keep burping and the smell of it is disgusting. I don't know what the hell I ate last night, but it was terrible. Anyway, so um, here we go with uh, our little group of white British Coventry born and bred. Uh, we are, we were quite, I think we were okay with the Irish actually. I mean, didn't, we, we didn't really have a problem with the Irish, not our group. I don't think we had, there wasn't a great deal said about the black and Asian community. There was a lot of piss take on both sides, you know, and um, there was a lot of piss take. There was a lot of banter and that's how it was. There was, there was just banter. It would be seen as complete racism now if we were to say any of any of what was going on back then. Uh, but it was on both sides, you know. Um, I would turn up at a particular garage that we used to do a bit of business with, and the guy would say, the <laughs> Jamaican bloke that owned it would say, okay, who ordered the skinny white boy? Who ordered the skinny white boy? <laughs> you know, there was a lot of that would go on. And uh, it was just funny. It was just funny. Um, so we t- we were moderately tolerant of each other. And you've heard me, those of you who have followed this, the faithful will have heard me talk about Herman the German before. When Herman the, F- Herman the German, uh, his predecessor, Herman the German, um, first came into contact with us. I met a sense of racism, the like of which I'd never seen. And I was gobsmacked. And this is where this is all going to tie together. I was gobsmacked. I was, um, I was amazed. And I, I was like, like a sponge soaking this up because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. Herman the German one was a young lad who started hanging around with us when his um, parents were killed in Germany. Um, And he came to live with his grandparents and his grandparents were British now, I don't know the full story behind it. I never really spoke to him about it. He didn't like to speak about it. His parents had died in a car crash. His mum was English. His dad was German. They met. They fell in love. They moved to Germany. They had a kid. Because he could speak English and German, um, he came to live with his grandparents in the UK. Now... His cousin was one of the guys that hung around with us. And I knew very, very well. And he basically said to us one night as we sat in the pub, his name isn't Herman, by the way. He said, do you mind if I bring my cousin down for a beer? 
And he told us about, you know, his parents died and all that lot. And it was six months before that. And uh, he'd kind of, he was staying with friends and then, you know, it was decided that the best thing for him to do was, you know, come and live with um, his grandparents. And he said, do you mind if I bring my cousin down? He's Herman the German and, uh, you know, you like him. He's a fun guy. He's all right, you know. He's um, he's good laugh, you know. He's, he's okay. And one of the group that we were with slammed his beer on the table and said, "You bring a fucking kraut here at this table, anywhere near me, and this will go in his fucking face." And then he walked off and had a piss, and I was left dumbfounded. I mean, if this guy had ever given any inclination of being a racist, then I would have expected it. If he had ever given any inclination of being intolerant to anyone at any time, I would have understood it. But this guy was quiet as a church mouse. He never said boo to a goose. He could handle himself. Yeah, of course he could handle himself. We could all kind of handle ourselves. <clears throat> but I was amazed. I was gobsmacked. And my mate, who was sat opposite me, Herman's cousin, went, what the fuck was that? And we all went, just leave it, just leave it. He came back to the table. We carried on having our beers. We said, come on, let's go to a club. And he said, no, I'm put off my beer tonight. Fuck it. I don't want to go out. I'm going home. And he fucked off home. Well, we all went to the nightclub, and obviously it was the topic of conversation. The girls met us at the club. We talked to the girls. The girls all had theories on this, of course, because girls have theories on everything. Oh, no, is that sexist? Shit. Um, and <laughs> they... Uh, they and we discussed this all night and we went back to my flat and, you know, we did the usual things we did. And a couple of days later, we're back in the pub and uh, we're all back as a group. And um, my mate said, so going back to the subject at hand, and there was an elephant decidedly in the room with us, sat at the table, in fact. Um said what about Herman then <laughs> and my other mate went I fucking told you that crowd comes near here and I put a glass in his face I'm not kidding and we kind of went what the fuck is wrong with you and he said I ain't got a granddad because of these fuckers I don't want a German here I don't want to speak to a German I don't want to know about a German. I, don't, I thought, fucking hell, your granddad. Did you even know your fucking granddad? And he didn't, as it happens. <laughs> He'd lost his granddad during the war. And uh, <clears throat> for whatever reason, his granddad ended up in a concentration camp. And... He knew every detail 
about concentration camps. He knew what they did, what the Germans did, what they didn't do, the ins and outs of it, starving people, everything. He knew everything about what his granddad had been through. And uh, I said to him as just a kind of throwaway line, well, you can't judge Herman for what his granddad did. And he can't judge you for what your granddad did. And he said to me, what the fuck do you mean by that? I said, well, in all fairness, there was a war on. And your granddad was trying to kill him. And he was trying to kill your granddad. And he went apeshit. He literally launched and went fucking apeshit. He absolutely went off on one. Talked about, well, my granddad wouldn't have starved him to death. Wouldn't have, you know, done this, done that. And made him die a slow death in a concentration camp. No, fucking hell. He had really got a chip on his shoulder. And I'd never come across that. I had come across discrimination against Germans from some of the older generation that I knew. But I'd never come across it of somebody my age being so completely anti-German. And I said to him, you need to fucking get over yourself, mate. You really do. Or you're going to live a life of hate. And he said, you know, you bring a fucking German here and I won't be here. And it, it kind of left us in a real quandary. And we said, well, fuck it, you know. And I said to my other mate, the cousin, you want to bring him here, it's up to you. We've got no problem with him. He has. But if you want to bring him here, then it's your call. You know, who am I to fucking say yes or no? So anyway, we gave it about two weeks. And... Uh, we heard nothing else about it, really. And then I got a phone call at home to say, you're going down the pub tonight? And this is from the cousin. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm going to bring Herman down. I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, I've been badgered by his, uh, by his grandparents to, you know, befriend the guy. And uh, in all fairness, you know, his parents have died. He's got no fucking mates here and all the rest of it. And Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, he did, he brought Herman down and uh, I tried out some pigeon German on him. He laughed his fucking cock off and then corrected me. He was funny as fuck and we got on really, really well. The whole table, in fact, got on really, really well. Except for one of us who sat there drinking his pint, didn't say a fucking word. Didn't say hello to him when he arrived. Just sat there at the end of the table. We went to a club that night. As soon as we got to the club, that's it. The girls were all over Herman. And he was basically swamped. <laughs> we didn't get a look in. They were all over him. And uh following day... Um, I woke up in the flat and there was about five or six of us there Herman was there and he thanked us for uh, what was the best night out he'd had since he'd been to the UK and um, my mate wasn't there the racist I'm going to call him the racist he wasn't there 
because he'd gone home. And I thought, well, Herman's obviously going to be around for a while. We need to get this fucking sorted out. I'm going to go around and have a word with him. So I went round to the racist's flat, sat down with him, had a coffee, and we talked about it. And he told me about um, the films he'd seen and his dad being a devout anti-German. Absolute, complete and utter racist. He hated the fact that Volkswagens were in the UK. Any German company that was in the UK, anything that German, Germany were doing got a tirade from him. And my mate had picked up on all of this. He'd seen documentaries on the TV. He'd seen the footage of this abuse that they got in these camps. And he'd grown up with it. He had a lifetime of hate for the Germans, for anything German. And no matter how much I spoke to him, he couldn't let go of it. Now, there was no solution to this. There isn't a happy ending to this. Hermann left and went back to Germany two years after. He stopped hanging around with us after about three months. He made some new friends, got a job, made some new friends anyway. And there was never a happy end to it. And we all went back to being who we were. And what we were. And I learned something then. That now I can recognise. And it's hatred. I now know and from the age of 20, I learned to recognise what hatred is. And whether it's hatred of white people on black people, or black people on white people, there is hatred. Not just a dislike. And it's deep-seated, and it's deep-rooted. And for black people, I guess, it goes back to historical events. It goes back to slavery. It goes into the shit end of the wedge that they got when slavery ended. And they all had to live in shitholes and get treated like shit by the police. There is hatred. And we fuel that by political correctness. We fuel the hate. When this guy died in the US, everyone was saying, you know, you don't have the right to do this. You don't have a right to shoot a black person. And it just seemed to me that no matter what that guy had done, he could have waved a gun around 
and shot at loads of people. His community would have said the same thing. You do not have the right to shoot this man. And it's just hatred. Sheer hatred. When we get to a point of being enlightened enough that we stop thinking about black, white, Aussie, American, Italian, German, and we start thinking about people and the best person, that's the point where we'll start to become an enlightened society. And it's as easy as that. Easy as that. Should have been a politician. Okay, so the next story I have for you, the next podcast story I have for you, is a doozy. And it's been saved. And then after that, we're going to do consequences. And once we've done consequences, that'll be the end. And our 100 podcasts will sit in the cloud for the rest of time. And long after I'm gone, I'm sure some people somewhere will find something in them that's useful. And if only one person does that, then the whole thing would have been worth worthwhile. This has been Ken. And I thank you, the faithful, if you've got this far. I hope you've enjoyed this one. And I will see you on the dark side. Take care. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.